The latest on how the UN is preparing for H1N1 influenza was discussed recently at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. David Nabarro, the UN's coordinator for pandemic preparedness, was giving the inaugural lecture for the journal Health Policy and Planning. I asked him what's being done amid the many uncertainties. We do know that there are influenza pandemics that occur at intervals. We're just in the middle of a situation where we have a new influenza virus, type A, H1N1, that has emerged, and the World Health Organization has raised the pandemic alert level because of this virus to five, which means that we are very close to the possibility that there will be declaration of pandemic. We can prepare for this kind of situation and have done so over the last three years. And I believe that we have systems now through the United Nations organisations that are ready for the possibility of a pandemic. One of the points you've raised here at this inaugural lecture is that economics lies at the heart of things. Uh, How come? One of the findings of the last eight or so years of analysis is that influenza pandemics are costly. They're costly in terms of health, they're costly in terms of business, they're costly in terms of economies. They lead to significant impacts, negative impacts on gross domestic product, and they can also lead to major cash losses uh, of businesses, of governments and of individuals because of their impact on people's ability to work and their impact on people's and companies' ability to function as they should do. It's because of these economic impacts and then the social and political dimensions that then build up as a result of them that governments have taken pandemic influenza planning seriously. Now, there are many countries in the world, some are far more wealthy than others. For which sorts of countries is this economic factor the most crucial? Well, of course, the richer countries in the event of pandemic are likely to suffer the greatest absolute economic losses. But the proportional impact of an influenza pandemic on the poorer countries is likely to actually be greater. So therefore, pandemic preparedness planning makes sense for all nations. And because viruses don't respect national borders, if we don't have all nations doing it, then we create some serious weaknesses in our global defences. Now, there are plenty of uncertainties, so what are the sort of practicalities of what you can do and what you should be prioritising? The uncertainties that we're having to deal with at this time, and it would apply actually during any influenza pandemic, is all about how will it evolve? Will it stay at the same level of severity and transmissibility of the causative virus? Or will it evolve into something that is either more or less transmissible or more or less severe when it actually affects people. This means that preparedness is all about vigilance and capacity to respond. The vigilance is about making certain that there is very good surveillance and that means having professional surveillance but also keeping track of any unusual patterns of illness more generally. Preparedness for response means making certain 
that the bare essentials of any business or branch of government are understood and that those parts can keep working even when the rest is somewhat dampened down. Now, I believe we have some advantages from past experience with other diseases, things like HIV, for instance. There are two things that we can look to when we're trying to develop lessons. The first is HIV showed us that the best way to cope with the potential impact of a disease and to deal with its causes is to encourage a social movement that liberates a variety of different entities, be they government, civil society, private sector, research organisation, the media, to unite in a collective way to address the issue. It doesn't mean controlling them all, but it means getting them working in the same direction with the same rhythm. Secondly, we learned from SARS that it's absolutely essential that there is very reliable and open and honest communication between the experts and the public about what is really happening. The moment that communication becomes in any way stilted or perhaps seeks to conceal aspects of what's happening, then people get nervous and that creates problems. Now, it, it is a moving target because the virus can change, the actual economic impact and the pattern of spread can all change. You've been learning from the military a little bit, haven't you? Well, what we have learnt from the military is that they build into their training and their ways of working the capacity to reassess how the situation might evolve at very regular intervals. So they develop their scenarios over time in the light of experience. We always need to do the same. We shouldn't stick with any one scenario and use that as the basis for our training. We should evolve our scenarios in the light of experience. And that's what we're having to do now as we study the way in which the present outbreak of H1N1 influenza is evolving around the world. So how would you do this practically in terms of advising people that you're following one course of action at one moment, but you might well completely change direction? And that's what we have to build into our communication strategies. Colleagues, I'm sorry to say we have to pass over that we cannot give a precise indication of how this particular problem is going to evolve over the next weeks and months. But in order to try to help us get the best possible response, each day we will provide an update on what the science tells us and we will adapt our advice accordingly and ev at intervals if we perceive that a major change is necessary, we'll tell you that that change has to be put in place. And how does the apparent mildness of this particular new influenza affect your planning? Well, I do not personally like to apply the word mild to it in too, uh, too serious a way because the term mild implies perhaps that we don't need to worry about it. So what I'd like to say is that epidemiologically it seems to have a relatively low fatality rate. It is, however, not dissimilar from that which occurred in the influenza pandemic in 1957. Uh, that, however, could change at any time and so therefore we need to be on the alert for the possibility of change and that means that it would be very good if people could not start seeing this 
as something about which there should be no concern. Instead, they should be seeing it as something about which they should be concerned, but at the same time follow advice and guidance from their health authorities as precisely as possible. What sort of standard operating procedure could you formulate at this stage? Because I gather you've been reasonably impressed with the Mexican one. I think that the preparedness work that has been undertaken in the health sector, in other sectors where there may be an impact of pandemic influenza, in uh, voluntary organisations like the Red Cross movement, and in uh, a number of business uh, bodies, uh, these preparedness activities have meant that they have developed operating procedures that would be applied early on in a pandemic situation. We're not quite there yet, but certainly there are features of the current outbreak that have some similarities, so they need to be applied now, or at a more intense phase when there might be a pandemic with high fatalities. And these procedures that have been developed and tested over time are being applied by governments, by ourselves in the UN, and are proving very useful. And that includes things like keeping the shops open for longer hours, keeping the banks open, so that there aren't so many people congregating. Well, what the the strategies adopted that we heard about in discussions with bankers and financial regulators were ways in which, within their business, they could reduce the need for people to be densely packed together. You identified two, open, uh, opening hours longer and more money in the ATM machines. And there have been other activities that we've found out in other sectors which are themselves able to reduce it. And in fact, the whole Mexican economy was closed down for a period of time in order to try to reduce transmission, a very brave act by uh, President Calderon, and one which I believe uh, really should be uh, identified as something that potentially had good, not just for Mexico, but for the wider community. So what sort of message would you like to get over? Well, I'm glad you didn't ask me for my predictions, because actually this is something that we're all really seriously trying to avoid. We can talk about scenarios, and we can talk about the way those scenarios might evolve. But my request to all concerned would be as follows. Please recognise that this is an evolving situation. Please track it very carefully. Please remain vigilant. And please do what you can to work within the guidance provided by your health authorities. David Nabarro, the United Nations representative responsible for influenza pandemic preparedness and, incidentally, a former faculty member of the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, talking with me here in London. For Audio News, I'm Peter Goodwin.